the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Innovators Network. Welcome to the heart of innovation. 60 minutes that can save life and limb with new breakthrough ideas and innovation changing the healthcare landscape. Brought to you by patient advocacy group, thewaytomyheart.org, in partnership with Abbott. Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. This is the Heart of Innovation, and we are going to get to the heart of it very quickly because this is American Heart Month, and... I want to bring to everybody's attention that three in five people who suffer a heart attack have blocked arteries in their legs. So your leg health could actually indicate your risk for a heart attack. And John, I think we should kick things off right away because we have a fantastic doctor, interventional cardiologist, Dr. Jason Yoho out of Corpus Christi and San Antonio, Texas, along with one of his patients that is helped save, which is Douglas. So what do you think? Any I agree. Let's, yeah, let's let's roll because this is a, a fantastic month to highlight uh, a disease that uh, is the number one killer of uh, Americans and those in the West. So let's let's hear the story. I think we should invite in. Thank you so much, Dr. Yoho, for, for joining us. We really appreciate you. It's my honor being here. I appreciate you having me on. And we have Douglas. Douglas has been on quite a number of times. I think we've been on Douglas's journey for the past two years. He first um, started on this vascular and cardiovascular journey, journey with symptoms in his legs. He ended up with what's called poor, poor circulation or peripheral artery disease in his legs. And Douglas, how long did it take for doctors to finally realize that, hmm, there might be something going on with your heart as well? I imagine that they didn't check your heart right away when they found out you had blocked arteries in your legs. No, they didn't. It, it was about three years before somebody started to ask questions and then just within the last six months i've gotten with dr yoho and within the last six months we're on this journey together now amen now now douglas you've you've had bypass surgery correct i had my actomy last september after i was diagnosed with atypical hydrocobic cardiomyopathy yeah, apical hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And he's been through, what, four cardiothoracic surgeons since then? Um, you've also had a defibr- defibrillator placed, right? Yes. And what symptoms were you experiencing that you went to all of these different doctors after that myectomy and no one listened until you went to Dr. Yoho? There was a shortness of breath, a lot of chest pain. Um, 
I couldn't sleep. My every time I laid down, it felt like somebody was sitting on my heart, and the the, the pressure of my left side, it, just a lot of pain in there. And yet, no one seemed to do anything. What were you? What was going through your mind? I I just figured there there was a point there. I figured just I understood this is just what I'm going to have to live with. And how did that make you feel? There were days it was hard to keep that hope that this isn't, you know, my life. I had to retire because of PAD. So now I am, I have this going on with PAD at the same time. And it was like, what am I going to do? Driving. Am I going to drive? Am I, if I have an episode going to HEB, am I just, is that it? There were so many times I had an episode and I was thinking, well, this is it. I'll see y'all later. And Dr. Yoho, what was, you know, talk about your encounter and, and Douglas coming to you with all of these symptoms. What was your thought? I mean, Douglas is uh, a trooper. He's been through so much. So he had already been through the gamut of being through multiple doctors. And, you know, it's very difficult if you put yourself in Douglas's position to you start to get discouraged. You start to be disheartened that this is all they can do. You know, I've heard from so many patients and I get a lot of second opinions on complex patients like Douglas where. They're told no, there's, there's nothing else that can be done. When in reality, you know, I think that doctors are like any other profession in that they can get, you know, blinded sometimes and get their blinders on and miss the forest through the trees of, look, you know, these are actual people like our family members that quality of life is so extremely important. And if they don't have quality of life, well, maybe we're missing something. And so aside from Douglas's PAD, um, which, you know, I'm sure you guys have talked about ad nauseum, you know, here was a, a, a perfect textbook case of he's having cardiac symptoms. Where patients and doctors get blinded is when there's something else going on. You know, just a quick 30-second synopsis, what I know other cardiologists hear all the time is that I see, you know, patients who have, say, COPD or breathing problems, it's so easy for other doctors to say, oh, that's just your lungs. It's just your lungs. It's just your lungs. And when in reality, they might have some blockages, too. And they, yeah, they have COPD, but it's not as bad, not as debilitating as what it's been made out to be. And so here in Douglas's situation, he was diagnosed with apical hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And so he went through the gamut with the myectomy and had a, uh angiogram before all this. So basically, it was, I think, you know, I think it's natural nature for a lot of people just to write it off. And I think the other thing that, you know, if I was a one great teaching point, you know, to about all of this is that what we do in our non-invasive tests have limits to them. And so, you know, I'm sure Douglas has had many stress tests just like other people. Well, if the stress test doesn't match up with our symptoms, well, we have to look further. And I think a lot of doctors, you know, and it's easy with with today's day and age where we're being told to see more patients and patients are getting less time. And it's, you know, to actually sit down and kind of look at it, because if you look at the statistics of what we do, a stress test, for instance, you know, for the lay people out there, even a stress test, you know, has only about an 85 to 90 percent sensitivity and specificity, which for realistic terms, what that means is 
what's the predictive value that that's really accurate? And so what doctors forget sometimes is, okay, well, we got to take each patient into account. A patient who has no symptoms having the stress test is different than a patient who has really high early likelihood of having these. And so when you take somebody like Douglas who has a high pretest probability, even if he has a normal stress test, that's only about 50% accurate when you look at the positive predictive value. Wow. So so that's where you got to look further. And to me, you know, treat everybody like you would your mom or your dad and you make sure that things are good. Coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we're going to hear a little bit more about the story and we'll also get into the heart of what you should be asking your doctor to get diagnosed accurately. So stay with us. Leg health can indicate risk for heart attack, stroke, and amputation. If you have leg pain or cramps while walking, get checked for peripheral artery disease, or PAD. PAD is plaque buildup in mainly the leg arteries. Be sure to ask your physician for an ankle brachial index, also called an ABI test, where they use blood pressure cuffs to analyze the blood pressure in your legs. If they discover you have arterial plaque that's limiting blood flow to your feet, medicine and a regimented walking program are frontline treatment. If PAD is in its advanced stages, your physician may schedule a surgical intervention. Minimally invasive tools are available to remove plaque and restore blood flow, including cardiovascular system's Diamondback 360 atherectomy system, which sands away plaque that is a hard calcium. It's important to discuss all options with your physician, and if told you have no options, get a second opinion. Take a stand against amputation. For more information, go to standagainstamputation.com. That's standagainstamputation.com. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining us. We are kicking off Heart Heart Month, which is February, uh, with a special guest, and, a, and, a, and a, a gentleman that's been on our show quite several times, many times, Douglas and his uh, cardiologist, Dr. Uh, Soho. So, uh, Jason, tell me, you, so you, you spoke of his diagnosis of um, apical or atypical hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Um, I guess if I was seeing Douglas, based on the fact that he had PAD and you mentioned the stress test that was maybe read as normal, but I would have a really high suspicion that he had coronary disease. I'm assuming he's had heart catheterizations and ultimately some imaging that led to the diagnosis of uh, this, the, the uh, hyper, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, basically a, hic- a thickened heart muscle, which can cause uh, symptoms of shortness of breath and chest discomfort in patients. Uh, that, that's right. You know, and the other big kicker, which um, we didn't mention before, is given that Douglas has a defibrillator, um, just in t- he was having a lot of PVCs and short runs of non-sustained ventricular tachycardia, right? So as you were saying, when you, it's kind of like, you know, for the lay people out there, a little bit of a puzzle, but when you start putting these pieces in place, um, okay, he's having irregular rhythms, which he wasn't having before. He's having more shorter shortness of breath, which he wasn't having before. We know he has a history of this P, of a severe PAD, which is a heart attack equivalent, let alone the fact that, you know, he has had apical 
uh, cardio hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. He has these risk factors that could lead up to, you know, a blockage just like any of us. And kind of what I tell my patients that irregardless of whether I have a stress test or I do walk on a treadmill today, I could walk down the street and something could change in my arteries tomorrow, right? We could all, everything changes day by day. So I think the most important thing I did is I listened to my patient. And so, you know, to me, something obviously changed in Douglas between the last six months that is worse. And so what I tell my patients is, okay, it may not be the heart. Let's cross our T's and dot our I's and make sure it's not. And then we can work our way back and figure it out. And hopefully it's something like blood pressure or sugars or something like that. But, you know, to me, all of these red flags were, were standing up. You know, um, we were talked about stress tests, and one of the things you had before was a CTA, uh, which was supposedly read as, as normal. And kind of what I tell Douglas and I tell my patients is the test is only as good as what goes into it. And so in using it in the right patients, right? So certain every test has its limitations. And so using the right test and understanding that, there's a degree of error in these tests. And so with CTAs, obviously calcifications is a degree of error. And, and Douglas has a ton of calcium. So, you know, CTAs are limited by, even though it's a great technology, emerging technology that's coming along, they're limited by, you know, our resolution, just like our TVs to have different resolution. And so the heart's a moving object. And so it has a little difficulty sometimes differentiating between, say, a 70 or 80% and a 40%. And so if it's a hundred percent, sure, it'll tell you if it's normal, normal, it'll tell you, but there's a lot of a gestalt to it. So, so Jason, did he have, I guess a couple of questions. He already had mm-hmm. a defibrillator. So I have to assume that he either had a weakened heart muscle or, um, you know, elite potentially lethal heart rhythms, number one. And then number two, was his diagnosis missed? Yes, the, the, does he have coronary artery disease that was causing his symptoms, or is it the uh, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? So his current sim- so a lot of his workup was done well before me. Um, you know, so I saw him in the last six months. You know, his previous symptoms, he had a lot of apical hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, and that was his symptoms. And his coronaries were essentially red as normal. Obviously, I didn't okay. have the images to look at per se. Um, but, and I, um, my understanding is, is they put the defibrillator in due to the cardio, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or arrhythmias, um, in some non-sustained VT. However, he did have a de- decreased systolic function too. So, um, you know, with no real, reasoning for it um his led is has mild diseases circ is normal but um you know it didn't something didn't really add up there right something didn't add up and so he had when i went in the artery that goes to the backside for everybody that's a lay person his right coronary artery had uh, a severe probably 80 85 percent stenosis um that was severely calcified um, you know, and so some of the new great technologies we can use in the case, which allows you to do essentially do a stress test on those vessels during the case, um, and take, and take a camera to actually look inside. Yeah. Did you um, use the intravascular ultrasound? There are some doctors that will say, um, oh, that, it, that doesn't make a difference, but a 2D image versus, you know, what IVIS can provide in a more of a 3D 
uh, is remarkable. It's, it's, it's a remarkable difference. And so, I mean, I can tell you my own father has heart disease and that, you know, his, some of his blockages were missed by just looking quickly, looking at a 2D image. And so for those people out there, you know, you have to remember that um, what we're talking about is it's a, a a moving and really undulating thing. And so if you're just looking at it in one direction, you could totally miss something that's on the other side of it. And so by I, I pretty much consistently use Ivis and say 95% of my cases. And I'm a big believer in um, what's called FFR, fractional flow reserve, um, to really differentiate what is really causing the symptom? And so for everybody out there, what FFR is, and there's different variations now with different companies. Uh, the one we used for Douglas was called Cathworks, which is, um, an, you know, 3D angio FFR. And so basically it, if you put a kink in a hose, you can hear the, you can hear the, the water going through the hose because there's a change in pressure. And similarly, what this does is it evaluates the pressure before and after lesions. So we're able to tell if that's a significant lesion or not from how much of a difference in the pressure there is. So if there's at least a 20% difference, then we know that that's significant. And so when I did that for Douglas, his was somewhere around 40% difference, which is wildly abnormal. And so given that it was at the Oh, the proximal or osteo, you know, right coronary artery, that was affecting everything downstream, right? So for other people out there to think about, if you have a hose water in your backyard that's connected to other hoses water in your backyard, if you put a kink right at the spigot, it's going to affect the whole backyard. So he was having decreased flow throughout. Wow, that's incredible. And so can you explain the right coronary? How does that correlate with breathing? Why did he have shortness of breath because of this? Sure. So, you know, the, the one of the tough things for patients, I think, is um, figuring out what symptoms are correlated with heart disease and what's correlated with, say, lung disease. And so in, in, in fairness, what I tell my patients is that everybody's different. I have patients that never get typical chest pressure. And so, you know, the backside of the whole backside of his heart was being fed by this artery. So when he was trying to use that muscle, right? So basically it's like if you're, he's trying to lift a weight and he's getting no blood flow to his, his bicep, well, it's, he's going to have trouble lifting that weight. Well, so if he was trying to exert himself and he was, his muscle was getting tired really quick, which then led to him getting really short of breath as well. So what are the next steps for Douglas? So for everybody, I'm a huge advocate for cardiac rehab, you know, and so um, to me, our heart's a muscle just like our legs and arms and everything else. We really need to get it back in shape. And so what we need to remember is, you know, if I break my leg, well, my muscles get all weak and we can see that. And we're used to saying, okay, I got to get my legs stronger. Well, we don't get to see the muscle in our heart. And so if we have a blockage in an artery of our heart, we got to remember, well, that muscle is taking it easy and it's getting weaker because it doesn't want to hurt itself. So we really need to strengthen that muscle like we would if we break our leg. And so cardiac rehab 
is, you know, what I tell my patients, it's not much more than you can do on your own, but most of us don't do it. You know, when it's a lot easier when you have somebody pushing you to work a little bit harder and you have an appointment to go to and, you know, and somebody's paying attention and helping you get back into shape as opposed to, okay, I'm going to get up and it's rainy on, you know, Saturday morning. Am I going to really go walk? And so if you have an appointment, it's a lot easier for you to get back into that habit. Once you're back in the habit, yeah, we can all do it, but it's really getting back into that pattern of things. Thank you so much, Dr. Yoho. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Douglas and for being that advanced life and limb saver that we all appreciate. We appreciate you. Thanks, Doug. It's my pleasure. I appreciate what y'all do and y'all have a great day. Thank you so much for coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation. Whoops, Douglas wants to say something really quick before we go to break. I really appreciate everything you went and above and beyond to help me get where I'm at today. I really do appreciate it. My pleasure, Douglas. You're a good man. Keep it up. Thank you, Jason. We'll hear, Thank you. You guys we'll hear more from Douglas and where he's at today and what's next for him. So stay with us right here on the Heart of Innovation. Three years ago, my symptoms started with leg pain and leg cramps while walking. Me too, with a tightness in my calves. Well, do you know, my doctor thought that my leg cramps were a side effect of the statin he prescribed me. Well, my doctor just brushed them off as another symptom of old age. Mine thought the pain was radiating from my spine. My doctor blamed my neuropathy on diabetes until I got a wound on my foot that just wouldn't heal. Yeah, it turns out we all have peripheral artery disease, also known as PAD. It's plaque buildup mainly in the leg arteries causing poor circulation. For me, the diagnosis came too late and I lost my leg, but that does not have to happen to you. No, it does not because there are treatment options available if you're diagnosed early enough. PAD, peripheral artery disease. If you've been experiencing leg pain, leg cramps, or neuropathy when walking, and your doctor isn't hearing you, we are. We are the way to my heart, the largest support network for peripheral artery disease patients. And we want to help you get back on your feet again. Visit our website at thewaytomyheart.com. Or call our LegSaver hotline, 415-320-7138. Your life and limb could depend on it. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Dr. John Phillips, spectacular, vascular moment of inspiration. Colin, well done. I, I, I think I, we were. I was a little worried. Like, how's that transition going to work? But yeah, we fantastic. need a little celebration clapping for Colin and his I know. timing. Wow! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> His, his transitions were certainly much better than mine when I, when I was flying solo last week. But anyway, I digress. So what I wanted to do, I wanted a quote from a Dr. Helen Tossig, T-A-U-S-S-I-G. She is uh, 
roundly considered the first female cardiologist in the United States back in the um, kind of mid, early-ish, mid-1990s, or excuse me, 1900s. She was um, a pediatric cardiologist, and she really had significant con- uh, contributions to the ter- understanding what, quote, blue baby syndrome and these are these are kids who were dying from cardiac arrest, and, and basically they did not have appropriate circulation. Um, and and so she is was actually not for, she was deaf uh, in in both ears as well. And because of that, her quote, I mean, the quote I'm going to use is um, she she stated as saying, "quote We have to learn to listen with our fingers." And I found that quote pretty um, inspiring in the sense that it it, it kind of opens you up to using your senses in, in different ways and not being limited by just kind of seeing things um, and hearing things uh, and taking them for face value, but but broadening out your kind of global scope for for viewing the world and. Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. So anyway, that's that's my quote of the day. I think Learn that's so perfect. Listen with your fingers. <laughs> I think that's perfect. Um, and I'm going to apply that very directly here for American Heart Month because one of our um, our acronyms that we use is CHAT, C-H-A-T. And it really encourages primary care physicians, cardiologists, whomever the doctor might be, to actually touch the patient. C stands for carotids. Make sure, check for a brewery, use your stethoscope, use your fingers. H is for heart. Make sure you're listening for AFib. Make sure you're listening for valvular issues, but you're touching the patient with your stethoscope. A is for abdomen. A is for checking for an aneurysm. Put that stethoscope on the abdomen. Put your fingers on the abdomen. Feel, listen for that brewery, that turbulent flow that could indicate that there's an aneurysm or some sort of turbulent flow happening in the abdomen. And of course, touch those DPs, touch those foot pulses. Have the patient take their socks off. Patients, you need to take your socks off at every appointment and say, hey, doc, not only look at my feet, but touch my feet because they can, with one touch, they can detect whether there might be poor circulation, which could indicate, as we mentioned in the beginning, your leg health could indicate your risk for not only amputation, but also heart attack and stroke. Can I 100%. Add? Yeah, please, Douglas. To that is the one thing I noticed about Dr. Yahoo, Yoho was, sorry about that. <laughs> I knew I knew it would happen. I knew it would happen too. <laughs> I knew it would. Was I remember the first time I left his office? He did not once. He want not once was he on the phone. Not once did he pick up the phone or do anything else. He actually, it was an hour and twenty minutes in his office with him, and he answered every. He just went over everything, and that I noticed that was the he didn't listen. Well, he listened to everything, and that was a big difference in how I felt about him and what he was doing. Right, he took the notes, but he also took the time to take his head out of the computer and literally look at you, get up, and actually touch you. And, and I'll say that the greatest gift that this podcast has given to me, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, is 
the gift of empathy. And it's also caused me to use, you know, again, the whole census thing to make me think a little bit differently about how this patient, how the patient is perceiving the interaction that they're having with me. I mean, we get, there's something called press Ganey scores where the patient fills out um, basically a survey. And it's kind of like, have you ever been to a place where you're leaving and they're like, hey, you know, here's a survey, make sure you give me a five on Yelp or whatever. And I mean, we kind of have things similar to that. And I don't really care too much about those, but I do care how the patient um, feels during the visit and after the visit. And I have learned so much from talking to folks on the calls here about how, you know, they're people too, and, and they experience things and they hear things differently than, than the way I probably speak them. Uh, and so again, I think it's so important to, when you're talking to a patient and I don't have an hour to spend with the patient. I just, I just don't. And um, I'm oftentimes I'll try to schedule another one or we'll, you know, another visitor, we'll do a telehealth or something. But I think it's really important to capitalize on the amount of time that, that I have with the patient and make sure that I'm answering all their questions to the best of my ability. Well, right, Dr. Coming up Phillips. right here on the oh. the heart of innovation, we're going to hear more from from Douglas because I I think that you you hit such an important point, Dr. Phillips, where you have 15 minutes of experiencing what the patient is suffering, whereas the patient has to be living with what they're feeling and experiencing 24 hours a day, and that's tough to really come across in just a few minutes. And so we're going to hear from Douglas about his experiences in those appointments with the other doctors prior to Dr. Yoho and how he felt leaving that room without an answer. So stay with us. Medical Notepad brought to you by patient advocacy organizations. Take a stand against amputation and the way to my heart. My name is Dr. John Runback from American Endovascular and Amputation Prevention. Why does PAD cause leg cramping? when walking, exercising, or climbing stairs. Well, PAD, or peripheral artery disease, is caused by the buildup of plaque or cholesterol in the arteries of the legs, hardening of the arteries, similar to the same process that occurs in, process that occurs in the heart's arteries and causes heart attacks, where it's called coronary artery disease. In the legs, well, you don't need much blood flow at rest. As you exercise, the muscles demand more blood flow. If you get a buildup of hardening of the arteries or plaques obstructing the arteries, then when you walk, or exercise or try to go upstairs, the demands of the muscle for increased blood flow can't be met. You have blockages in your arteries. And in response, the muscles cramp. That's their sign to you that something is wrong, that you need to see a vascular physician. Medical Notepad is a series for educational and informational purposes only. Advice offered is not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this series without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. For more information on peripheral artery disease, go to standagainstamputation.com. And for peripheral artery disease support, go to thewaytomyheart.org. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. 
Welcome back, everybody, and uh, thank you for celebrating Heart Month with us, or at least kicking off Heart Month with us. Uh, that is February, uh, and uh, we're continuing our conversation with Douglas. It almost feels like a Save My Piggies, uh, doesn't it, Douglas? Because you're telling us our your story, and so we kind of left with uh, your physician, Dr. Yohos. Uh, it sounds like he fixed your right coronary artery, um, probably put some stents in, I imagine, and you're feeling better? Yeah, he put, he ballooned it, and I have two stints in there now. And I think the biggest difference is, is from before to now. The other, my brother woke me, I was at my brother's after I had the surgery. My brother tried to wake me up that morning, and he said, I have never, never in my life seen you sleeping like you were sleeping. So I think that goes back to that hope part. So after I saw him the first time, it takes four hours to drive home from his office to where I met. And this is what you and I were talking about a minute ago is I drove home with hope. I actually had that hope. And Kim was talking about that. I remember I saw my first heart doctor on the 25th floor and I, Kim remembers this. I remember walking out of his office and thinking, well, I just need to jump because it's over with. Because I ha- he, he just, it was basically just, you're done, dude. Sorry, nothing we can do well, for so, you. Douglas, can I just interrupt you for a second there? It, to the best of your ability, can you tell me what they, like what that physician, what did they say to you that you interpreted that comment as, uh, you know, my life's over. There's no, no help for me. That appointment was him. He walked in, he was already on his phone. He said, I looked at what you, what the test showed and there's nothing we can do for you. And it was, it was just really strange. And so I asked, I said, well, what do we do from here? And he said, well, there's really nothing I can do for you. So go home take care of yourself and that was the appointment i'm I'm just shaking my head kim i know and that's it it, it's really sad and i've been through a few of them there was one situation i'm with douglas where he called me he said kim i pulled into a gas station and i i i honestly can't make it home right now can you help me you know get a hold of my brother i'm calling 911 and the ambulance came and picked him up from the gas station brought him to the hospital and he was in the hospital for four to five days, had every test in the world, had every doctor in the world and their fellow coming in and assessing him, looking at him, talking to him. And they basically said, well, we can give you a pill for your myectomy that I think would slow down your heart rate a little bit. It's more experimental, but we are not allowed to give it to you in the hospital. So basically it was a waste of time for you to come in here and you have to go home and go pick it up at your pharmacy. But they didn't bother at that point to do any further testing. I mean, the fact that there was an 85 percent blockage in his right coronary that they completely dismissed or didn't even bother to go in. And as D- Dr. Yoho said, he went in with advanced imaging. He went in the wrist in an actual angiogram. And he said, you know what? The symptoms don't make sense. Something is going on. Let me at least give him the benefit of the doubt. And I'm going to go in in a very different way. And I am going to look for myself. I am not going to depend on some scan. I'm going to go in with intravascular ultrasound 
and the FFR, and I am going to literally get to the bottom of this. And he did. Well, yeah, and, and, it, and it just speaks to the point that he made earlier that each patient, and it, and it sounds, um, you know, like Captain Obvious here, but each patient is different. And I always tell patients, I'm like, well, you know, not everybody reads our textbook, meaning not everybody's going to come to us and say, I have classic symptoms of claudication. In fact, women typically have atypical symptoms of claudication, as women have atypical symptoms for coronary artery disease. But it is, it's kind of a Captain Obvious when you've got Douglas who has severe peripheral arterial disease. And the overlap between peripheral arterial disease and coronary artery disease is, is very high. You would mention it. It's, you know, anywhere of 20, 30, 40%. And so you kind of have to ask yourself, if he's coming to me with symptoms of shortness of breath, did I do everything I could to evaluate those symptoms? And maybe we got a stress test and maybe it was a read to be okay, but they're not right all the time. Sometimes they get it wrong. And it's just important to, we've said this before, you have to listen to the patient. They will tell you what's wrong with them if you listen to them long enough. It's interesting because I I just wonder in how many cases in your experience that the right coronary symptoms of a narrowing are brushed off as something else. Because my dad, more than a year ago, after he he fell, he broke his hip, broke his arm, was in a wheelchair for two months. Uh, He got back on his feet, started walking. Within a month of walking, suddenly he started having shortness of breath. His smartwatch registered that his VO2 levels were low. He goes to the doctors, leads the witness and says, my VO2 levels are low. I need that test. They put him in for that test. The test said he was normal. So they said, there's nothing wrong with your lungs. You're just out of shape. Now, fast forward a year later, he could barely make it up three stairs. And he calls me just before Christmas and says, Kim, I had to take the elevator. What's going on? I couldn't get through his regular doctor. I called Dr. James Joy, who's part of our network for the Way to My Heart, our organization. And I said, you save all my other patients. What should I do about my dad? He said, if you're willing to drive this far, I will get him in tomorrow morning. He had a severe blockage in two branches of the right coronary above 95%. The shortness of breath was a signal that something was going on. Now, mind you, with so many patients that have vascular or cardiovascular issues, there's a lot going on. There's a lot. I feel bad for all of you because it's a lot to sort out. And it's so easy to miss something because we were then blinded by the fact that he had uh, bilateral um, acute clot in both of his common femoral veins, which then led to a couple um, chronic clots distally in his lungs. And so it was just like chiseling at a lot of things that were happening with him. But that's the same thing with Douglas. Because of his apical hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, they literally didn't even, couldn't look past that to think that there might be something else going on. Well, I mean, if I was seeing Douglas and we made the diagnosis of apical uh, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which we never really kind of got into that, but it's an abnormal thickening of the heart muscle. And in fact, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, and when we talk about the apex, that's kind of the tip of the heart. It's underneath the left breast. So the, the, the base of the heart is more up towards the clavicle. 
typically it, the whole heart is kind of thickened and it one in 500 people have hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and it's actually the most congenital or the most common congenital defect that causes sudden cardiac death in, in uh, athletes. You know, you'll see somebody just collapse um, and it's often hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. But having said that, you make that diagnosis, I'm assuming he would have had a heart catheterization in order to, if they're going to move to surgically remove some tissue and, and try to help the symptoms, you have to have a heart catheterization because if they're going to go in to do that and there's some blockages, they probably would have done some bypasses too. So maybe he had blockages that developed since, well, Douglas, you can tell me, that developed since the surgery. So how I was diagnosed with that, I saw a different doctor in Houston and he diagnosed me with it. And within two months, I was already, I already had my myectomy. They came in. I was seeing Dr. Z in Houston for my right leg, had a little problem on the table. They brought me to the hospital. That's when they, the doctor walked in within 10 minutes. He had to, he was going to put the defibrillator in. Then I saw the next doctor over there at, the, at that hospital. And he said, you have a typical, we're going to do a myectomy tomorrow. And it was just like that. And it was like, I remember laying on that hospital bed in the in in emergency room and the guy goes, we're going to put a defibrillator in. And it was like, wait a minute, hold on, time out. What is going on here? I went in to have a stent done with Dr. Z in my leg. And now an hour and 20 or an hour and a half later, I'm in the ER and you're going to put a defibrillator in. It's like, yeah. wait a minute, hold on. Wow. Well, coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we're going to have final thoughts from Douglas and some key takeaways you don't want to miss from Dr. Phillips. So stay with us. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I want to get to Douglas really quick. Douglas, after you had that right coronary cleaned out, how are you feeling any better since then? Oh, absolutely. I, 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 I've been able to tell the difference in my sleeping. I still have some issues that we're talking about, but... I think that goes back to what he said. I'm going to have to do some exercising and change some of that behavior, a little more change. And now I have the hope that they can go in and fix my blockages that I have in my legs now and finish doing what we started three years ago. You look so much better. And your brother says you've actually he's seen you sleep deeper than he has seen you in years. So that's a good sign. Yes. Yes. Um, any I'm key takeaways well. from you? Um, you know, any advice based on your experience for those that are listening? And then um, also, mm -hmm. Dr. Phillips, I want you, you to jump in afterwards with your final takeaways and lessons that others can learn from this experience as well. Sure. I, I think for, for me, the most important thing right now is the word hope. I have gone. I remember when, before I, and that hope of not having uh, having an episode and thinking this is it and trying to have that hope every day of being positive and getting up and walking and doing and having a, a sustainable life, whatever that looked like, my woodworking and all of that. 
So I think the word hope now is really a big thing for me now is, is that I'm not having episodes all day long now. I don't really think about my defibrillator going off again. It went off three times in 10 minutes at one time, and it was like it, it, it affected the thinking. So right now it is a positive. I got up and walked two miles this morning. Wow. So it took a little time because of my legs, but I still walked. And my eating, stopping smoking, doing all the stuff that I do now in the hope. And I'm not going to sit on the couch and let this disease take me. Nope. Sorry. I'm going to start. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight the whole way. Good for you. Dr. Phillips. Well, Kim, uh, I love how formal you're being today. Um, so, <laughs> Mr. Nicholas, I will respond a- as such. Uh, number one, I, I want to I want people to have faith. Uh, I read I read a book that that calls faith. The I think it's the eternal elixir that allows life, action and power to be um actualized through the impulse of thought. Uh, so faith is very important. You have to believe in yourself and believe that things can change and you can change it. So number one, do what you can to prevent this disease. This disease is kind of preventable. So exercise, exercise, exercise. Make sure you get your cholesterol checked. Make sure you get your sugars under control. Don't smoke, okay? So, so do things that you can do and control what you can control because there's a lot of stuff in life you can't control. And number two, you do the way to my heart. We do the heart of innovation, save my piggies, because it's patient advocacy. We want patients to be advocates for themselves. You know your body. If you're not hearing what you want to hear from your physician or you don't think you're getting the right answers and you still think something's wrong, seek out somebody who can help you. And, Kim, you do this every day, and we're thankful for you. But listen to your body. Don't take no for an answer. Yeah, and if you do need help, you need someone to be by your side to to fight for you. Definitely um, call the Legsaver hotline if you're here in the U.S. That is 415-320-7138, 415-320-7138, or go to padhelp.org or thewaytomyheart.org, and you can message us right through the website, and we will be by your side every step of the way, whether it's your vascular journey or cardiovascular journey. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. We really appreciate you. You've been listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Our mission is to help patients live a better quality of life through comprehensive education, real-time support, and high-touch advocacy in partnership with thewaytomyheart.org and Abbott. Our purpose is to reduce the 1.5 million heart attacks and strokes and nearly 200,000 amputations annually. For more information regarding topics you've heard discussed on today's program, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. The Heart of Innovation is for educational and informational purposes only, and advice and views shared are not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this show without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. If you think you are having a medical emergency, call your local emergency number or go to the nearest hospital or emergency room. This show is distributed by the Innovators Network. For more information and other great shows and content, visit TheInnovators.network.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.